Tonight I'll sing my songs again. I'll play the game and pretend. Mm -hmm. Though my words come back to me in shades of mediocrity, like emptiness in harmony, I need someone to comfort me. Homeward bound, I wish I was. Homeward bound Home where my thoughts escaping Home where my music's playing Home where my love lies waiting Silently for me Silently for me podcast exploring faith and fear, what scares us and what saves us. This is The Fear of God. Hello, and welcome back to the podcast at the intersection of faith and fear, where every week we discuss what scares us in order to find what saves us. This is the Fear of God podcast speaking to you right now. It is one of your hosts, Nathan Rouse, and typically with me is fellow co-host, longtime pal. If you listened to last week, you know we're well past the, the two-decade marker, not the 20-decade. <laughs> nope, not there. Uh, Reed Lackey, he was, he was here a minute ago, you guys, but... <laughs> He, he seemed in a mood and he huffed away off a of camera and I just, I just heard him shout, fix that Jesus. I'm sure he'll be back. I hope, you know, although maybe some divine intervention is about to happen. Allow me to welcome you back into our series on learning how to lose titled in the morning. Uh, this series has been intended and hopefully has at least on a certain level um, delivered to help us meditate on loss as we navigate life inside a pandemic, giving even deeper resonance to our regular mantra of assessing what scares us in order to find what saves us. But I am getting ahead of myself because here at the fear of God, we explore. We, as best we can, do not explain, except for right now. When I explain that you can listen to the fear of God at your nearest podcast platform, you can watch the fear of God on YouTube and you can browse the fear of God on the web at the fear of God where, amongst other things, you will find episode archives and merchandise, including cell phone cases, T-shirts, campaign buttons, face masks. Thank you to those of you who just today I saw a note that someone out there had purchased some face masks. We'd love to see it in your socials when you do it. Magnets, pillows, read! Re, re, welcome back to the show, my friend. That's not your baby. <laughs> That's not your baby. Where'd you steal that baby? 
you know what? I, I actually thought about using that line for your intro. <laughs> Fix that, Jesus. That's not your lackey. That's <laughs> so great. Oh, uh, how you doing, buddy? I'm good. Riri, we we had what? a time with the others last week. Man, if you for a movie that I am okay on, and you, um, you know, like the doves, poo on, um, you know, wow. that was quite a conversation. Yeah, honestly, uh, my thoughts on the film uh, aside, that was one of my favorite conversations uh, uh, among them, if not my favorite conversation that we've had in a while. So if you have not checked mm. that out, uh, please, please go back and do that. But if you have checked that out, then the only thing I have to say is Beetlejuice, Beetlejuice, Beetlejuice. The business section. Ooh, la, la, what do we got here? <laughs> <laughs> All right. So don't forget the. I uh, won't. I ain't. Right, so why don't noted. you start with that? I'll okay. go with the them, and then you can come back with the other. So, listeners, we neglected to mention this on the last episode, and uh, basically, we are starting next week, going to be going back into hashtag 2020-2020 for your favorite horror films of 2011 and 2012. It's, it's very exciting. Um, and normally, at the end of this episode, we would tell you what film we're covering, but uh, we kind of skipped over it, announcing it last week. So we want to give you a few more days to vote. Uh, so you don't have much time. As of the release of this episode, we're going to leave it open for four or five more days, but please go to the fearofgodpodcast.com. Click the banner on the top. That will take you to the surveys of 2011 and 2012, where you can pick your favorite horror films from those years. And then next week, we're going to be counting down your top 10 from 2011 and featuring a film from that year, uh, as we will do for 2012 as well. So get to the website and uh, vote. Get out the vote. You know what's uh, funny about those read up? So I posted the surveys you built and... 2011, I, I don't have either of them in front of me, but my, if memory serves, 2011 had a number. I mean, I'd probably seen at least a third to maybe half. Um, 2012, I, when I looked at it, I was like, I don't think I've seen much to any of those. So. 2012 is, uh, we'll, we'll get to it, obviously, when we get to it, but 2012 is a bit of a rough year <laughs> for, right. yeah, not a lot of uh, strongly memorable stuff. So it'll be interesting to see how the list shakes up. Well, in the spirit of things that we might be watching and or other people might be watching, another call to action we have right now is our audience. What you're watching, what oh, you're reading, what you're listening to. Um, you have heard several peppered through the last two months uh, of you guys sending us these things. So what we are trying to do with great intentionality, please, please. I know you're out there right now. Blake. Uh um, <laughs> um, we are building a database of listeners renditions of the what you're watching jingle, uh, basically pick an episode of the last two years or so. Um, and you're somewhere at about the 10, 15, 20 minute mark. <laughs> Don't hold me to that. Uh, you're going to find some version of jingle in there. You can, Hey, even better. You can look at the timestamps of you know, yes, six yes. months ago. There you It'll go. That's yes. technology. Mm -hmm. um, what we're after is you guys with by yourself, uh, with your spouse or significant other, you and your kid, just your kids. Thank you, Vera. Um, you know, neighbors. Uh, you know, I, I don't know. Pick, pick people you know, please. That's probably the safest bet here. Here, uh, ideally with yourself included. Um, and send, record it on a voice memo recorder, like if you've got an iPhone, I guess Android has something similar. Uh, record it, email it to us at fearofgodpodcast at gmail.com. We are actively using these, 
and would love to just have you guys participation in that way. It is a lot of fun. What is the last thing we want to tell them? Read. All right. So we are dubbing this next piece. Sharing is caring. And what this basically boils down to is if you've been listening to the show for a while, you've probably, uh, especially if you're still listening to it, there's probably been, been things that has provoked thought or that has made you laugh or maybe made you, maybe you found it moving or, or memorable. Uh, we want you to share that, uh, share the show, share that episode, share that little bit of nugget from the episode. Um, uh, there's lots of little bite-sized chunks from the recent YouTube clips that you can peruse and, and maybe segment something off there. Um, but share it to the social media platform of your choice, be that Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, wherever else. But you got to make sure that you tag us in it so that we know you've done it. There is a contest associated with this. Um, and anytime you do that, it will automatically enter you into that contest. Um, but the other piece of it is we want to hear from you uh, about one of your maybe favorite or more memorable uh, pieces from the show in 2020. So, uh, or you can maybe go back to 2019 if you wanted to remember when things were lighter and brighter. But email <laughs> us um, at fearofgodpodcast at gmail.com. So you can share it to the social media feed and tag us or email us, fearofgodpodcast at gmail.com. Um, and then, we, yeah, we just want to hear uh, from you, just something that, that has stuck out to you from these recent episodes or from the last year or so uh, as we are approaching our fourth anniversary, which is really, really crazy to think wow. about. Um, and also our 200th episode. So, wow. yeah. So, uh, so all of those things are in the ether and sharing is caring. We care about you and we want to hear what you have to say. So share it to the social media feeds and, uh, yeah, we would love to hear from you. Do you have anything else to, to add on to that? Beetlejuice, Beetlejuice, Beetlejuice. It's showtime. So, uh, Pouring a bit of a cold one out for the traditional opening salvo of the hashtag TV guideposts, you know, introduction. It'll return. It'll return. It'll be back. It'll be back. Just wait a few weeks. It'll be right back. Like a boomerang. Um, <laughs> yes. Um, that was a bit of a wink towards season three. Oh, I see. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Like a kangaroo, like a shrimp on a barbie. Yeah. <laughs> Is that going to be a lot of what we have to deal with? with this? Oh, yes. Oh, yes. That ain't a knife. Uh, that's a knife. <laughs> um, so, little, uh, little, little Joey. <laughs> I'm going to put you in my pouch, little lecky. <laughs> wow. <laughs> this, this is not as fun as I thought it'd be. So, hey, um, what, are you, what are you about to do? No, nothing. I just. I was going to. Do, do you care yeah, if I wait, get us started with an icebreaker? Yeah, that's a good idea. Okay, good idea. so yes, we are not doing the, I mean, the episode is a TV guide post. We're not doing a what you're watching. Um, I don't have a, <clears throat> I have a question, you know, in the mm. spirit of this season, I'm trying to make happen in our conversations here. Okay. Um, it is not so much a thematic conversation or a thematic okay. question, I'm sorry, uh, as much as it's just an icebreaker slash fun slash let's just go where the spirit takes us here okay so so our primary content today uh our primary piece of art i don't love calling things content that sounds too widgety so our mm. primary piece of conversation today is centered around episode 10 of season two of the leftovers and a thing that features pretty heavily uh, rather prominently late in the episode, um, we had on the show Friend of the Fog, Ian Olson, two weeks ago, wherein we discussed episode eight, International Assassin, 
um, an episode that features a purgatory-esque hotel uh, mm-hmm. where Kevin, our hero, goes to... Uh, the intent of the episode is to banish from his spirit this sort of essence of Patty Levin. Well, in the 10th episode called I Live Here Now, uh, he returns to said hotel. And uh, he is, we'll get to the, the nuts and bolts of the episode, but he's inflicted with a pretty serious wound um, that ostensibly should kill him. Instead, it shunts him to this, you know, kind of limbo space the the children's limbo um where in order to return he is called upon by speaking of aussies uh bill camp Mm. um to sing karaoke yes and (laughs) you about to ask me to sing uh uh, no but um one When we get to the formal conversation about the episode, I want to hear your thoughts on the song choice here. Mm -hmm. Um, But what happens, because I know you're such a big fan of that artist specifically. Well, uh, so effectively, and and I'm actually, it sounds real glib, but it's really powerful in the episode. Kevin has to sing karaoke, which again, yes. Is that an odd convention to choose in a sort of life death type of scenario? Sure. But it's so powerfully executed and it's this, it's so thematically rich to that character's journey. Um, and so I posed the question to Reed earlier today. So Reed, if you were in a round of purgatory karaoke, okay. what is the song that you would use to signal a fundamental metaphysical essence deep spiritual effort to reclaim your life and your family now while you ponder this because i don't want it to just be this is a conversation this is an icebreak as a conversation start it's not a oh. this and then we're going to move on okay. so do you want to answer i was going to give you some time to ponder and kind of lead a little bit in terms of the formulation here because uh, it's just fun <laughs> don't answer yet because, okay. All right. you know, like, this is a lot of criteria to think through on this. Mm-hmm. It is. You know, and because I had to do some driving around today for work, and I was like, you know what? I'm going to figure out what this song is. And I must say, I'm not like 100% on board with my final choice. I've got, of course, okay. it won't surprise you at all, some runners up, some, you know, oh. a couple different ones in the mix. Right. Good, then I can use mine too. That I pondered. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> that I pondered at least. So, because, you you know, it's got to be somewhat classic, right? right? It can't sure. be, I mean, I, I suppose it could if you, if you, if a person really wanted to make a case for it, but it couldn't be like, you know, a 2018 pop hit, you know, like. Sure, yeah. Uh, even, even though, even though Never Gonna Give You Up features heavily, features strangely in The Leftovers season two, I don't know that that would be my choice. It's just too meta. So it's got to have kind of some a classic air to it. It naturally has to be somewhat melancholy, right? You know, like uh, yeah, 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 yeah. So I suppose it doesn't have to be the tone of this, the tone of the way it's deployed in the series. It's it, there's heavy melancholy at work. Um, in my the, okay, so I guess all I'm doing is identifying this is the thought process I went through, right? 
mm-hmm. it had to be something I'd actually be willing to sing karaoke <laughs> in front of other people. Right, Not, right, right, and right. by that, I don't necessarily mean like, am I willing to sing karaoke? I am, I am definitely willing to sing some karaoke. Um, but you know, it's, it's gotta, it's gotta pack a punch clearly. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, so I will say a couple of the ones that entered my brain and but not what you selected, reasons, right? No. Yes. Then, okay. And reasons that I struck them. So fitting at least the criteria of something I would either a be willing to and or want to sing a karaoke of, um, and actually pondered, would this be it? Um, was I would do anything for love, but I won't do that. <laughs> but you know, I just, I don't know that that sends the right message. Right. Cause that's probably not right. Yeah. Like mm-hmm. I do anything. Wait, 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 wait. You know, Bill camp. He's like, Hey, Nathan, you know, you gotta go <laughs> sing mate. You know? And I'm like, okay. You know, Oh, you, you were willing to push a little girl down a well, but you're not going to go sing. You know, you gotta, mm-hmm. you want to get back to your family. If you know, I'm, <laughs> I'm looking for my take Watiti, you know, <laughs> Wow. Hey, Brit, Brit, Jermaine, you know, uh, you're willing to push a girl down a well, but you're not going to go sing. Like you got to sing something uh, to get your family back. And uh, I don't know that that sends the right message, right? I would do anything for love, but I sure. won't do that. Like, Will you hose me just, down with holy water? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. no, no, no. I, that's cool. <laughs> I just mean like it, you kind of hit a, it's, you just kind of hit a stop with, but I sure. won't do what? Like, no, you need to, the, the point of the exercise is to be willing to utterly go the distance. There's no, you can't, you can't say that I won't do like, okay, well, you're just going to stay here singing okay, karaoke until yeah, yeah. you find the right song. Another one that came to me, and this is going to be echoes of, uh, you know what? Do you have multiples that you can toss? Uh, out? I do. I do. Okay. Well, then ones you that, do one of yours. You do ones one of yours. that, uh, that, that made the short list. There were, there were about four or five songs that made the short list that then the process when you texted me and sort of pre-briefed me on this yeah. question immediately there were three or four songs that came to mind and i went in until about an hour before we started our recording session i was sitting there i was like okay well it will probably be this one because this is the one that's like you know the the most appropriate of those that are coming to mind and about an hour before we started like a hurricane a different song came coming through and it was just like it was just like a click it's like no that's the one that is absolutely 100 right. so you do no have debate. a definitive okay. i have a definitive one this is the song that i would use to to do what we're describing but maybe it's maybe it's my wistful self i i did not have that bolt of lightning I, oh okay i've okay. got one that i'm like 90 percent. oh not, okay it's not 100 percent. Right. okay give okay, me yeah. give me one of yours and then why you struck it so, so I did consider Johnny Cash's song, I Walk the Line, which is a, okay. a favorite song of mine. I love that song. But uh, it's really about, you know, devotion. Now, now how does that go, Reed? If we've never heard it. Oh, uh, you mean, I keep a close watch on this heart of mine. I keep my eyes wide open all the time. So, uh, listen. I would have thought you'd have gone with Boy Named Sue, but, you yeah. <laughs> know. Well, um, so, but, but I quickly kind of struck it down because it's, it's, it's really, uh, it, it's not melancholy enough. It's a, it's more of a sort of like a definitive sort of declaration kind of thing. Um, toe tapper. Yeah, exactly. So, so I struck that one kind of down. Do you want me to give another one that Um, struck down for a comparable reason? Sure. Yeah. Okay. Very shortly after that came running up Ben King's song, Stand By Me. 
Um, and, uh, and, and that like, is just, okay. Yeah. Like the, the, the classic yeah, 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 absolutely. Okay. Yeah. Um, and I do love that song. And that was, that was the one mm. that before the bolt of lightning came through, I was like, I'm probably going to say this song. Um, but then a different one came to mind that I was like, no, that's, that's absolutely. Song. So, yeah. Uh, I have one more that I pondered that didn't make all that. Yeah. <laughs> I won't cry. I won't cry. I won't be afraid. That's good. I like mm-hmm. that. Mm-hmm. Um, Short list. Entered and entered with the possibility of an almost clear winner, but for one glaring problem, was in the spirit of the others last week and its adjacent performance. Uh, lead performer roles was come what may from the Moulin Rouge soundtrack. However, it's, you gotta have a duet. Like, I don't know that that really functions in the ask here, which is, Hey, Nathan, you know, you're going to go up, you're going to push a girl in a well, but you're not going to sing, you know, to get, to get back to the love of your life. And, uh, you know, the, uh, your world and your new mate, you know, your, your Jordan, Texas and your kids and your adopted (laughs) kid. And, uh, that other girl, you know, like don't you. Okay. So really you're going to sing come what may with someone else in purgatory, you know, to get back elsewhere. It doesn't really work. It just doesn't work. <laughs> you know, that was fun. Um, right. Like it's a, it's a, it's, yes. it's a killer song. It is a it killer is. It is. song, but we, we had it, it sung at like our it, wedding. Did you? Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, my wife's childhood friend and her husband sang "Come What May" at our hmm. wedding. You were my best man. You don't remember that? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Brother, it was about now. I don't remember much. I did remember <laughs> I was your point. best man, though. But point, point being, it just feels like it betrays the spirit of the moment to have to do it with someone in purgatory to get back. Sure, to right. sing a love right. song with someone else. Right. Of like, course. What if you? What if in the moment you're like, wait a minute, they can sing pretty good. <laughs> Maybe you should have my family. <laughs> no, no. I'm like, what if I want to stay? You know? <laughs> oh, okay. Right. Mm-hmm. I'm just saying it betrays the spirit mm-hmm. of the moment. I that song. Okay. Sure. Yeah. What, what's a, uh, what's another for you? Okay. So I'm going to, I'm going to rattle off my last one before my, my okay. final one. The last one that I'll mention on the short list was by you two with or without you. Okay. Yeah. Good yeah, news yeah. is you just took out one of my others. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, okay, good. This is a great segue. I'm so proud of us. Um, <laughs> I would, I'd sing Weather Without You to get back to you, Reed. Um, mm. If Bill Kent was like, hey, Nathan. Uh, stop it, Bill. <laughs> <laughs> Every five minutes. <laughs> so, I've got to set the scene. You know? We're going to be on the freaking fog meter, and it's like, hey, if Bill Kent was like, I so here's the thing. <laughs> if you're going to write these films. <laughs> On their, on their fear and their god. <laughs> we'll see you next week, everybody. Um, okay, uh, that's amazing. So no, once once I cleared the lane of uh, meatloaf and <laughs> Moulin Rouge, um, I did ponder some David Gray's. I pondered some Over the Rhine's. Sure, couldn't sure. quite settle on. Um, Over the Rhine felt a little too esoteric um, in terms of that classic vibe. So my first impulse, uh, so I'm going to, I'm going to go ahead and do my three landing okay. on my 90 percenter Your main one, yeah, um, yeah. and let you give the big whammy. <clears throat> so I did land in the U2 territory. I pondered some killers. Oh, nice. But nice. they are pretty fresh. 
mm-hmm. for my experience in life. Um, so of course, up uh, for consideration first was one. Yeah, beautiful song. Yeah, and and that was close. That hits a lot of the vectors of sure. the Venn diagram I'm after for my karaoke, my purgatory karaoke, mm. um, because it 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 is just imbued supercharged with melancholy and yeah. that sort of because that oh i forgot this one it couldn't be like a uh you know because there's there's songs by like artists like your rich mullins your jars of clay type people yeah of who, course yeah that 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 i deeply love and am deeply ministered to by but it's a different kind of re- different vibe different energy yes absolutely yeah, so yeah i was yeah, after yeah. like that human relationship type thing the only reason I ultimately abandoned one is because it ultimately sort of lands as a we're independent agents kind of song, right? Yes, like, right, right. We right, are right. one, but we're not the same, which yes. mm-hmm. again, in the spirit of the message is like, well, what you're trying to establish is sameness. Sure. Sort of, of course. Sort of. So that was, that was choice. A choice B I did. I mean, I was really, I was driving around. I was, I was karaoke in the car. Oh boy. Two, one. And then I was like, okay, not sure about that for this reason. With or without you mm-hmm. was on the short list. Yep. And that's that's a damn fine song. It is. Um, the one I landed on, it is you two. And it is felt like it hit all I was after except for a hundred percent, you know, endorsement was all I want is you. Mm, that's a wonderful choice isn't it that's a wonderful choice. and it just it kind of narrowed it was like that's yeah. kind of does hits hits all the marks yeah no it's wonderful that's absolutely wonderful so i did right, not so, so read you know uh, uh okay you're so to push bill, a girl down a whale. Bill, now bill, bill. what is your song you're gonna sing yeah i'm gonna sing a song okay get up on the stage spin the wheel i don't know the familiarity automatic that will come and unfortunately, you know, copyright restrictions being what they are, I can't, you know, play oh part boy. of it, you know. But the song that came in just completely uh, emotionally knocked me over and said, yes, that is the song I would sing. Do you know the, the, the artist Jim Croce, if I say that name? Yes. Uh-huh. Okay. The song that I would stand up and Cats sing. In the cradle. If, if Bill, if Bill, that's not Jim Croce, but if Bill <laughs> Camp would, you know, would, uh, would say like, Hey, hey, Reed. Hey, Reed. You know, hey, so, okay. you're willing to push a girl down a wheel, but you're not going to That's as much of that as I want to do. So, um, <laughs> so, who knew? I didn't uh, know. The song that I would stand up and sing that would, you know, reclaim would be Time in a Bottle. Do you know the Time in a Bottle I song? Catch Time that's the one. in a Bottle. That's the one. I yeah. don't, that's really about the extent of it. Yeah. So I the know lyrics, the tune, but I don't remember yeah. the lyrics. So of course the tune is very melancholy. It's got a sort of a a, a, a somber tone underneath right. it. But very yep. lovely. It works. It's it's, yes. it's it's beautiful, but it's very somber tone. The lyrics are, you know, if I could save time in a bottle, the first thing that I'd like to do is to save every day till eternity passes away. Um, and then again I would spend them with you. Mm. And then and then the the refrain, the choral refrain is but there never seems to be enough uh, there never seems to be enough time to do the things we want to do once we find them. But I've looked around enough to know that you're the one I want to go through time with. Mm, and and so man. it's just, I mean, it's, yeah. So when, when I recalled, like I said, it was a very emotional moment when I was yeah. like, no, oh, this is the one, this is the song. All right. Well, let's do it. it. All right. Reed, you know, no, you're willing to push a girl down a well. But- <laughs> 
I'm about to willing to push you down a well. You and your um, Jack and Apery. Jack, uh, Jack and Ape. That's a good one. That's um, funny. Boy, what was I was about to say. <laughs> I did ponder. I didn't go listen to it. It's more the mood and the chorus. But Cash is, uh, if you could read my mind. Mm, that's yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Really yes. great track. But I know yeah, it's a well, cover and that yeah, wasn't yeah, necessarily exactly. the intent. Yeah. Um, anyway, we'll so no, read. That was fun. That was, I enjoyed that. That was really good. So yeah, now I'm picturing myself as Kevin Garvey standing up on the wheel at Purgatory. No, singing. you picture yourself as Reed Lackey. Yeah, that's true. But I mean, like, I mean, come on, standing in his place, I, in his stead, and and just like yes, in my singing. place. That's not the song I would sing. That's but not I do the like song. That song. No. Um, so yeah. So you, you want to dive into okay. no, no. Um, <laughs> Let's, like, yeah, let's going, do it. I mean, an episode, where yeah. else do we? <laughs> where else is there to go? But you know, on the bridge, we live here now. Um, so yeah, this is the finale of season two. I had mentioned kind of, uh, I had mentioned to Ian off pod after our episode because Ian had expressed a bit of ambivalence to the uh i don't know if ambivalence is the fair word but you know like he was having some reserved feelings in terms of the the uh connection to leftovers and Mm -hmm. my wife it would be fair to say you know also had some comparable mixed feelings to it that having been said there was a very specific reaction that she had to this episode and particularly the ending of this episode where I think it would be fair to say that while her overall take on the show was very mixed, she loved this episode. This episode. When you was say the like, ending, do you mean the bridge conflict or the no, purgatory? The, the no, not even or purgatory. The, the, the final final. The final final. The okay. the last moment of the episode. And and I remember when the last moment of the episode ended, she was like, "That was great. That was absolutely this fantastic." Is oh um, I forgot that I did look up. You know, there, there's a, I read a few interviews with Lindelof. Um, there's nothing hugely uh, noteworthy except, and I'll just throw this in and then we can move back right back into there. Um, he talks about the construction of the season and how I don't think there's any reason a viewer would know this and I wouldn't have until he articulated it. He said, Kevin, the, the earthquake that happens right when he gets to the house at the yes. very end. Yes. It's meant to echo the K woman. Mm. And that he's like, it's right there. Uh, she was the K woman. She was in a group of a hundred gets. There's two people that get cut off 2% yes. of the world's population in the world of the show. Oh, right. Yes. And he's yes. like, this is all this is meant to be a swirl of, but um, I do want to talk about the, not the nuts and bolts of the episode yet, but just the general energy of it. And I rewatched it last night and this is such a cinematic episode. It really is. The the visuals are beautiful. I mean, some of the shots are just breathtaking and I almost wish I could rewatch it or I'm sorry that I could watch it for the first time again, because Mm -hmm. it's so harrowing in places that don't have a diminished effect uh, as a repeat viewing, but have just, okay, well, I know everything. And so intellectually, um, I, I, I know how it all resolves. So I'm not as maybe plugged in, but 
any any general thoughts on the episode? I'm happy to jump into some. This, this is, I mean, if not for no room at the end, this would probably be my second favorite episode of the of the entire series. I mean, I think this is yeah. just an it's an outstanding, and it would be my favorite if not for no room at the end. Um, I, it's it's just an absolutely astounding piece of storytelling, and it's got so many substantial payoffs that are rooted in. Uh, character and are are fully baked into the narrative. They're not cheap. They're not out of nowhere. Um, and they are uh, again. They're payoffs. They are callbacks. They are resolutions. They go back. The to me, season two of the leftovers is like that's why I recommend the show. I, I love the show in a lot of different ways, but it is the story being told in season two that is. If there's any reason why I would push listeners or friends to watch this show it would be because of the story season two tells it is a powerfully affecting story and i I love it love it so much um i'm gonna just jump into a few scenes before some of the more powerful ones but yeah dude poor jill gosh this character yeah yeah i I actually was really moved by her scene on the stairs with Lori. um Mm -hmm. but this poor kid just gets ground up by these jacked up adults. Yeah. Um, and that actor, I mean, she delivers when she needs to and it's, she really does. Yeah. It's impressive. Um, I don't think we've mentioned it on pod, but we actually, we've had a couple <clears throat> of conversations on social media Andy McDowell's daughter. Um, mm. and so, uh, yeah, it was a really interesting. I didn't know that my wife discovered that in a little trivial. What do you know? Were. Yeah. Well, mm-hmm. Thanks to Blackie's wife for the trivial. <laughs> um, man, <laughs> I had totally forgotten about Mary coming to and their reunion is just beautiful. I mean, I got choked up tears in my eyes, like Chris Eccleston's buy-in as Matt Jameson at every turn. And especially in this scene is just a thing of beauty. I mean, it's so powerful. You know what else I love about that moment is, and yes, Matt's reaction is wonderful. So is Mary's, but I love the way Nora is enjoying their Mm -hmm. joy. I just, that's like, she's standing behind and she just loved, you know, he's looking, he's like, is this real? And it's just, it's, it's so hard. Well, that, that, that line for a show built on how much our perceptions can deceive us. And Mm -hmm. that is a thing supernatural. Is it literal? You know, certainly. And I will ask for this very mild spoiler. I mean, we never find out. I'm sorry. No, that wouldn't make any sense. All I was going to say is confirming what the conversation piece that came up with Vera. I love that you're still left wondering, did Mary wake up until this scene? And Mm -hmm. I love how what I was trying to get at was in terms of character and our own perceptions. You know, in his darkest moments, Matt himself is probably worried. You know what I mean? And so that's why the power of a line delivery Yes. And this exultant, um, just tender man yelling, is this real? I mean, it was just beautiful. Loved it. It's absolutely wonderful. Um, So one of the first things that I wrote down, and this is getting into this, this, I'm going to express it as a like, because I really, really like the moment. Um, This is exactly what I wrote down. As much as I love the image of Kevin staring up as the at the girls as they're leaving and executing their plan oh, for departure. Yeah. The geography of Jarden and the timing of that moment messes with my head because 
presumably they left the house and then drove to the lake. Now, they, they clearly had to have stopped somewhere along the way because in order for them sure. to have left the house and then gone straight to the lake, all that had to happen in between then and then was that Kevin had to like go through his whole evening, get ready for bed, go to sleep, sleepwalk, go to Michael's grandfather's house, get told that he needs to, you know, kill himself in order to free himself of Patty. Oh, I forgot. And go yeah, yeah. and has to go to the lake and, and do his whole thing. All of that had to happen while they drove. And he's walking, by the way, because he's sleepwalking. <laughs> so, right. so the, the timing of the fact I don't think, I don't think that too hard about it. I know that's, <laughs> just, I have to just let the mystery be because like, <laughs> like the timing of that just messes with my head. That having been said, I do love that moment. Of it's him looking wild. up and right and seeing them, and then when he leaps into the river or the lake, and the earthquake happens and the water all drains right. down, it's just it's it's really affecting, very very affecting. Uh, so yeah, I just I I love that piece of it. Weird as it is, you know, geography and timing wise. Well, and what and I don't even know that by the time we get to the end of season three, that we'll be equipped to have the scope of conversation that the emotionality this mm -hmm. show puts on display it does uh yeah, yeah. That, that we're kind of equipped for that conversation but what a what a moment in the car when the girls are driving and the the one the driver yes. gets emotional starts to break down and yeah. and evie wipes her tears and just says don't or writes don't i mean you know i'm not endorsing evie in there i'm just saying like nowhere does that scene make any sense but in the leftovers correct and yes. and yeah and for those of us dialed in and bought in and and willing and interested it's there's there's so much happening in that scene absolutely, absolutely. and it's just a tiny little you know 10 second scene um i'm going to and and you feel free after or i'm sorry we can volley some of these i don't want to shy away from the bigger way to your scenes of this episode knowing that they aren't necessarily indicative of the bigger thematic ideas we want to explore so i, I don't want to hide from those um to I'll, I'll throw this this one is huge um I'm, I'm risking the fact that you might bring up another one that I actually would score a little higher here but i do think this is a really powerful scene between kevin and john mm. when mm. John and again, same idea, same idea as Evie and the girls in the car, like the amount of the amount of things that are firing in this scene. Sure. Yes. Are multitudinous and you've got uh, something I did read in a Lindelof interview is they, a, a, a writer that was part of the writer's room for season two was this gentleman who was uh, they identify him as he's a practicing muslim but he's like this got like a doctorate in world religion and so he was kind of their expert on religion and so had all these conversations about world religions and stuff and they had been operating in season one there's even i didn't see where this was or remember it but apparently there's a note a reference to the potential of kevin as a prophet like that identifier mm -hmm. comes up and this writer in the writer's room repositioned him in season two and said, he's not that he's a shaman. He is this go between in uh. the ether and the present. And anyway, so you've got the scene in the kennel between John and Kevin, where 
um, newly clarified Kevin. Yes. Reveals, hey, I saw them. Mm-hmm. I, and, and, you know, he can't discern or, or doesn't have the information to tell him why or, or what they did next or whatever. But the dialogue that I wrote down and it's got this is where it, it feels like it left for an episode or two. But when the Max Richter score starts to tinkle in mm-hmm. and just starts mm-hmm. building because you've got John. Who maybe is a character worth discussing, but is so conflicted. And on a certain level, you it'd be easy to reduce him to just angry. But right, right. He challenges Kevin on the notion that they ran away. And he says, she loved her mother. She loved her brother. She loved me. So why would she do this? And Kevin says, maybe she didn't. Oh my God. Just lets it hang there. And John's like, what? Love you. Oh, bang. And then he shoots him. I mean, like, so, so, um, I, I, yeah, I want us to feel free to explore that scene a little bit and then to let you throw any out you want to talk about, but, I mean, this is a show and this will steer a little bit into my thematic notions. This is a show about attachment and yeah. And maybe clarity though. That's a bit of a antiseptic word. Is that the word I'm looking for? Uh, it's, it's a bit neutral of a word, but attachment and, Mm. and why we attach, why we detach, what can rebridge the gap if you do what will never be rebuilt, you know, like, and that scene just kind of signals all of those things. Yes. I mean, I, I did write that scene down as one of my favorite moments of the, of the episode that, I mean, Kevin is so clear headed and clear minded. And we talked a lot in the show when we did the season one sort of fuller episode, I believe that was when we, talked about this subject of like truth telling and the and like getting at the truth and kevin on his particular part of the journey is very much in alignment with like he he sees very very clearly right um he might not have the words to fully articulate now right now now he does um okay yeah Yeah. and but he he sees very clearly and so to come even to come up with so bold a statement as maybe they maybe she didn't maybe she didn't love you right is just uh i mean it's it's really really powerful and john in this moment so so john is a character who he frustrates me tremendously he is so stubbornly insistent upon his demand not even need demand to control the situation and to the not even control in a manipulative sense, but to oust anything that is not in accordance with his worldview. He he did it like time after time in the season two. You talk about attachments, like John is so adamantly stuck in there are no miracles in miracle, um, and so adamantly stuck in like hey, that doesn't that doesn't happen here, you know that. He's just upset and offended at Kevin saying that he died, and that's how he knows is because he came back from the dead. Um, John just is not having any of it. And, and there is a bit of sympathy. We talked last week on The Others about you know, what you do 
when calamity just upends your whole worldview. Like I, I love from a storytelling beat as mad as I get at John when he pulls the trigger on Kevin because I'm furious at him in that moment. And then immediately the next scene, like he has barely left the trailer where he's just murdered a man, which by the way, not worth getting into too much, but I'm like, who is John in this town that he thinks he's going to get away with just shooting yeah. a man down in cold blood? You they know, give him like, a pass hard. Right. And, and so, but so then he's not even out of the trailer for very long until suddenly they're like, it's Evie. And he right. goes and sees her on the bridge. And then it all begins to, like at first he's just desperate to get to her, but piece by piece mm-hmm. it begins to sort of sink in like, Oh my God. Yeah. Like, this is yeah. his calamity. Yes, exactly. And um, yeah. And I'm not introducing this scene right now, but I was trying to ponder you referenced your wife's appreciation for the end. I was moved in ways I don't recall by he and Kevin's final scene. Oh, she, but and she cited we, that she loved that scene and that's, that's yeah, definitely yeah. worth bringing up either at this point or later in it. Cause yeah, that's a, that's wonderful. Absolutely wonderful. Um, without it being a means to to unpack too much, are there is there what what what's a scene or another nugget that you'd want to? Well, so about? so so something that does not at least you know substantially maybe in an ancillary way it'll bring it up. I don't have a specific theme about this, but the payoff to all almost all of the hippies in the commune suddenly emerging as members of the guilty remnant that is as a story payoff that is a god is a master role. stroke absolutely yes. yes that is that is absolutely a bullseye. and it's so it's so like casual you're like yeah. oh my god they yes. they just start disrobing and then you know uh, uh choose here what is is the what does the placard say you know adorn yourself oh know you yourself first know um, yourself and then adorn yourself accordingly yeah and that and that's what they do in that moment like to suddenly have the campground turn into staging ground is yes. insane and yeah. it's it is game changing it is it pivots the whole experience of that season um the the magical way this well-oiled machine, all these powerful scenes start just colliding with each other. Right. I'll say this for, for me, for me, if, if anyone, if, if, um, it's not lens. What's the episode with, uh, the showdown between Nora and Erica? No, that's lens. Yeah. That's lens. Oh, is that lens? Mm-hmm. If, if that scene isn't enough, to convince you of the power of Regina King, that cinematography and performance on the bridge is, is insanely breathtaking. I mean, that's staggering. Yes. The way that scene is constructed, the, the, the lack of verbal audio, Mm -hmm. the way, the way the character hurls herself at Evie. I mean, she is, Nearly knocks she her down. Is, right. I mean, yeah. that's, there's that shot of Regina King running. Well, the first shot that I actually sent you a photo of, of her running away from the camera atop this, you know, this, this big aerial shot of the bridge right. is, is right. gorgeous. Well, then the next cut or right around there is of her running adjacent to the camera. And, and the woman is, it's like, she's picking up, it's like Captain America on the, the field of Wakanda. I mean, she, oh, yes. she's picking yes. up speed as she's going and it is, 
wild. And then she just collides with Evie. And then that whole engagement there mm. is just, yes, it's next level. Like that five minutes of scene, you know, is, is kind of all timer to me. No, absolutely. It is. Absolutely. It is culminating in like, you know, this just absolutely devastating moment where she says, why are you doing this? I don't understand. And Evie writes back, you understand, you understand. like, Oh my right. gosh, it's yeah, it's really, it's really very incredible. So everything about that, uh, definitely just sort of, you know, and that's what we were alluding to in last week's episode about the, you know, the Meg character, and this is her end game. And this is what she's been, you know, building up to and leading up to is just, uh, the complete assault on Jarden, Texas by the GR and um, and that I will say, because I don't have any thematic notions connected to this piece, but as a story and as a payoff, it's pretty powerful, is the point at which the whole just ugh, frustratingly uncomfortable, uh, the, the whole that's not your baby. Mm, it, you is, know? it is. Oh, oh my God. Yes. I mean, that is heart in your throat. Like. Like if, if 10 seconds of film can, can induce weeping, that yes. scene does it. Yes. I mean, my it, God. But again, it has, again, this, this, this episode is all about payoff because then on top of that, it also, uh, Nora covers mm -hmm. Lily. Yeah. So she's protecting Lily, but then who steps in and rescues Tommy. him? But That's Tommy, great. That's a great it's, moment. It's, it's one of Tommy's best moments in the whole show. And, um, and it's really, it's really great just as a payoff to those characters and to that dynamic. It's just, it's really wonderful. I don't have a lot of theme to unpack from that, but that, that whole moment is really, really strong. Um, I think the only other thing that I, that, that would not be directly tied to theme is I just, I, there's so much I love about when, so when Kevin awakens again, after, singing Homeward Bound, which we alluded to in the, in the very beginning, uh, when Kevin awakens and he's making his way through Jarden mm -hmm. and seeing, and this is what I was kind of getting at when I'm like, Jarden's not going to recover from this. Sure. Like, like you're going to talk about like rioting in the streets. Like there's not a building untouched. Like they are completely, they've knocked out power grids. There are things on fire. There are people just partying up all through this town. And, Kevin, it's, it's pretty galvanizing, Kevin making his way through that um, disaster area. But I love so much when he steps in and sees like half, you know, most of the guilty remnant like asleep in that whole miracle right. national yeah. park plate. And then uh, Meg starts singing that whole mm -hmm. it's a miracle and Evie joins it. What I love about that scene is he tolerates it for about 30 seconds before he's just like, nope, and <laughs> just starts leaving, doesn't engage, doesn't anything. He's just, he just hears them doing their thing and then just turns around and walks out of the room on them. And I love that so much because he's like, no, I, no, we've done this, been there, whatever. I'm not no, giving thank him any you. more money. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Um, but yeah, just like not giving them any more time or attention. And, and, uh, and I, and I love that. That's, that's probably my last note that would not be directly tied to the broader thematic explorations of the show. So, um, well, yeah, then let's, uh, and that scene is, I referenced this last week, but that scene is where I said, I wrote the guilty remnant are religious trolls. They, yeah. desec they desecrate your love and they demean your hope. 
Yeah. Um, I do want to, just because we gave passing glance to it a minute ago, and, and I don't know if any of what you have to say, we'll circle it or we'll, we'll focus on it. Nothing thematically that I have would, uh, but the scene between Kevin and John that mm. honestly is a thematic yeah. signal of the show. Yeah. Um, you've got calamity beset John who finds Kevin after he gut shot him in the infirmary. He, he shot said, him in the chest. Well, I mean, it was in the stomach. I mean, it was in the. Ab. I think. Yeah. Well, it, that's not worth spending. Right, right, right. I think it's in the chest, but, but, um, but yeah. Uh, I love their back and forth because, because these two, we referenced it um, on the episode when Kevin leaves the handprint on the car, like these yes. two are bound for a collision that yes. happens. The post after it is this beautiful scene. John weeping says, I don't understand what's happening. Yeah. Kevin just responds with me. Neither they, I wrote, they laugh and they sob and Kevin Mm -hmm. just says, it's okay. It's okay. It's beautiful. Powerful. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it's really powerful. And the first moment, honestly, in this season where I really sort of, you know, grow sympathy for John. And I just love so much about that that moment and then it has it that that moment itself has another great payoff when they get back to their respective homes and john says what do i do if nobody's inside right and kevin doesn't miss a beat kevin just says right back to him well then you come over to my house right and it's just like man the the understanding that has been again kevin is more clear-eyed than he has been at any point in the show ever now uh and and the the grace he extends the humanity he extends, the forgiveness he extends, uh, John's, you know, humbling and, you know, mm-hmm. he's not, he's not a humble man, but he has been humbled. Right. Right. And, and so there's just, there's just so much richness to, to all of that, that I, that I love so deeply and think it's just so wonderful. Um, well, yeah. What, what would you like to follow in terms of thematic ideas? So I think the thing that, really stuck out to me does extend from Kevin's song choice mm-hmm. homeward. And it's not his song choice. He spins the wheel and that's what it lands on. So I think it's important to note that in the narrative of the show, he doesn't pick what song he wants to sing. He just spins the wheel and, and it lands on homeward bound. And I, you referenced it earlier in passing. I'm not going to spend a ton of time on this, but you know, up there as probably my number one with a bullet favorite artist, musical artist of all time is Paul Simon. And very specifically in my high school days, I connected very in a, in a profound sort of paradigm shifting way to the music of Simon and Garfunkel became very, very enamored with their, with their music. So homeward bound has been for many years, an important song to me. I'm not going to unpack all of that here. Cause that's not totally relevant, but I do love the way that he's singing the song. And then you see in his head, he gets to that line where he says, every day is an endless stream of cigarettes and magazines and then sees in his mind the GR and the National Geographic. No, he magazine. sees himself oh, he in, sees him, in yes, the white right. smoking. Yeah. Yes, that's right. Um, and then sees the National Geographic magazine and everything. And then that is the moment, kudos to Justin Throw as a performer, that's the moment that he begins to sort of feel the, the, the emotional gravity of what he's trying to stretch toward. And then God, just the lovely, where he says, you know, home where my love lies waiting silently for me. And then pictures Nora yep. smiling at yep. him. It's just such, it's just such a tender moment and it's lovely. And, um, and then when he finishes the song, I will say not trying to pivot out of the, 
sort of the sen- sensitivity of the moment, but I will say like somebody needs to wipe his nose. Like, like when he's singing and when he's being, you know, bandaged up, that was, that was one thing that I was just sitting there. I was like, Oh my God, get this guy Kleenex, please. I meant everything, but he's so overwhelmed by all the emotionality of it. And then the vigor with which he gasps back to life. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and then of course, I, I'm going to give credit to my wife here for what she described this as because he steps into that house and then I'll get to my thematic idea. He steps into that house and when he looks around, God, it, it, on the short list for one of the most powerful and affecting moments of the whole show is he steps into the house and first he registers Jill as Max Richter's score begins to swell. Then he registers Lori and then God love him. He sees Matt and smiling Mary sitting on the couch. Mm -hmm. And then he sees Tommy holding Lily. Mm -hmm. And then uh, he sees Nora kind of emerge out of the shadows with this. And he hasn't seen Nora, you know, he went to rid himself of Patty and he hasn't seen Nora yet because Mm -hmm. when he got back and was intercepted by John and taken over there, Nora wasn't back yet. So then he sees Nora who with tears in her eyes and a big smile that love lies waiting silently for me says very simply you're home. And so just the beauty of all of that and the, the, the richness of character gravity that is, that is tied up in all of that. But what my wife described that as that I think is just so wonderful is she said, you know what that was? She said, that was a lost beach reunion right there. That was like everybody emerging mm. out of the jungle and like, you know, hugging each yeah, other. Yeah. And the music Exodus like, part one yes, and two. Exactly. Yes. That is a, that is a, you know, hearkening back to Lindelof's lost beach reunion days. And I do think that's pretty appropriate, but it is this whole, you know, reclaiming of the, 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 the love and the affection and as complex and messy as it all is. And that's what I feel like season two is largely for me about, it's about people searching desperately for home. And ultimately for these characters in this moment, things will change for many of them in season three, but ultimately for, for these characters in this moment, finding it in each other yeah, and, and finding that, like home is us right surrounded by one another and finding it in the relationships that they've developed over time that is that to me is what season 2 has all been about and 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 the people who are on the outside of that the megs the evies uh the entirety of the hippie guilty remnant who are rioting in the streets of jordan out there it's like they themselves have kind of given up on there being a home to come back to or to to approach or anything um but the beauty of that moment to me is that that is what they that is what they have truly found in one another at least for that moment is they found home in one another and that's uh and i just i just find that so very lovely i don't even have a lot to unpack beyond yeah that, well i think it's interesting the 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 recurring notes we're hitting through this middle section and you know i saw the title of the episode before i you know before i knew its context and um that's what happens in the visitor center yes yes is meg he says what are you doing here i don't remember her response but she says what are you doing here why are you here and he says i live here now yeah mm-hmm. and that's such a statement of place yes perhaps geographical but also bodily yeah absolutely yeah Mm -hmm. 
And I, I always hate when you and I, I'll say it this way. I never intend when I branch to be a dismissal of what you're putting down thematically, I'm actually going to in, introduce things that hopefully circle right back around to it. Sure. Because, right. because, uh, and one, come on, like, I'm, I'm going to joke about Thoreau's snot, but that scene is incredible. It's oh, it's incredible. amazing. No, it's, and, yeah, yeah, and yeah, it's probably, I don't, I haven't seen three in a while, but is probably a top three for him in the show performance wise. It is. No, um, it definitely is. And, and it's just such a powerful execution of all the themes. And to your point about your home now, did you catch, you, you probably know this, but, um, anecdotally speaking or, or sort of trivial bit speaking, Nora has a line that ends every season. Uh, season one is look what I found and it's the baby. Oh, season two wow. is yeah. your home. I don't remember yeah. the final line of season three, but point being she intentionally ends every season. Wow. Has a line. Um, and it's, so, I'm so I'm, here. Hmm? it's I'm here. We'll get there, okay. but yeah, it's I'm here. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Oh, uh, yeah. <laughs> I'm curious. Random. I, I don't. Uh, this I, listeners, real quick. Season three question. I know the ball. I know a lot of season three takes place away from Jarden, but I also know some takes place in it. Is it? I can't remember the kind of ratio. I'm asking you to sort of inform. less than a third. Less than a third takes place in Jarden okay. in season three. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I but think they don't start gone. Right. No, it picks up. Like it, it picks up practically the next day. Okay. And then, um, and then matters more just there, my curiosity. Yeah. Um, so, so the thing that I've in weeks of doing this now that I've been unable to escape my friend. Uh, and I don't say that placatingly. I say no, that as someone that two weeks ago on, or last week on, um, no, what did we cover with Ian? <laughs> Can't even dark now. city yeah dark city uh, when when i'm like drowning out in the ocean just needing a life raft um or a, a you know a inner tube thrown at me um as as my peer and friend and and uh someone i would sing a song to get back to um and 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 that's ironically kind of where this is aiming for but the thing i can't get away from in this season and if if to me season one could be summed up by the question are we okay and the explorations of possible answers to that sure yeah season two for me in my experience of it this time the question that sums it all up is why are we losing Mm -hmm. which is features an off-ramp between laurie and tommy and and i've thought a lot in fact what I didn't want to happen was for something to supersede it by the end of the season, because I was so captivated by this. Sure. Scene. Of course. Yes. And in fact, nothing like formally superseded it. If anything, it just kind of, uh, uh, bolstered it and, and fortified it. And listeners, if you're watching, you know, season, uh, episode three off ramp, um, they're lamenting. I suppose this is after the woman is driven off the road. Um, and they're recoiling from that. It is, yeah. I um, and, you know, Tommy's been infiltrating GR houses and trying to get defectors. And Lori painfully 
to him says, why are we losing? And Tommy's response is because they are giving them something. We can strip it away, but once it's gone, we have nothing to put back in its place. And I think the question I want you and I to rest in for a little bit or the pondering to put to rest in is the thing put in its place. Mm. And to be clear, I'm not actually a heading like my song choice. I'm not heading for a hundred percent answer here as much as just a, a, a near approximation, but in, in daily life read since that conversation, I asked myself this, not in a despairing way, in a just pondering way. Okay. And I love how so much of my intellectual life and by association, my spiritual life is attached to the fear of God of these last four years. Mm. And I often think, or at least what this question called to mind for me was a phrase J.R. used on sympathy for the devil, mm. empathy for the devil. Uh, that's not a song I would sing at afterlife karaoke. <laughs> Simply for the devil. That's going to get you heading the wrong direction. Uh, <laughs> but he used a phrase, the gospel of loss. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, I, I want to, I want to corporeally, meaning materially, live in a place where the values I hold are grown in a population sense. Mm. It's a really weird thing to say. But what I mean is simply, do I want my views of the world because we are inherently have a selfish tendency and think we're kind of right? Do I want those types of views to flourish in civic and other types of facets of a society? Sure. But I also think something that I can't escape of why are we losing is because we're supposed to. Hmm. And, and I think, Reed, we are so scared of that. Yes. Yeah. And hear me. I know you know this, but maybe for myself, for the conversation, for anyone listening, I'm not referring to elections. I'm not referring to, you know, uh, 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 sports. I wouldn't refer to that anyway. I'm simply saying, I think, I think the essence of what, we're supposed to be about, you know, uh, another fog reference here. The only acceptable loss is our own. Like mm -hmm. I look, I look at something, uh, something that fascinates me about the campground reveal that happens is how masterfully this show has created ideological conversation amongst mm -hmm. its factions, right? Yeah. While right. still clothing it in rich character work. But, it can't be ignored that because what do Tommy and Lori do? They, they play down an ideology while playing up another one. And for me, and I think you might echo this on a certain level, God will not abide an ideology. No. And I agree. And I think in the, why are we losing all I mean that what I don't mean by that is he doesn't like the GR or he doesn't like this or she doesn't like it. You know, if we're going to use fun pronouns, what I mean is simply God will not be bound to an ideology. God will right. not rest in your prescribed mores of 
activity, right? Compassion, right? Sacredness. Um, and so, so in this, why are we losing conversation? I think about this in my life, like how I, uh, my peers in our orbit have ideologies that I don't share and find somewhat toxic, but my children are exposed to some of those ideologies or run the risk of being exposed to some of those ideologies. And it stresses me out. And in the conversation in my head of if my kid came to me and said, well, why not this thing? It's really going to be hard to say, because we're supposed to lose. Mm -hmm. We're not supposed to win. Winning isn't the game. It's not a game that I don't want to follow that. But point being, that's a hard, that's no one likes that. Right. People come to Jesus and say, can I sit next to you? And he says, mm-hmm. we'll give it all up. Yes. You know, oh, wait, wait a minute. That doesn't sound right. And they walk away. Like that is why we lose. Yeah. And, and, and I'm not saying Lori and Tommy don't know Jesus or need to. That's not the point. The point is, they supplant an ideology with another one. And what happens in the end? There's no ideologies left. You know, if, if, um, I, I cracked open a Wendell Berry book the other day because I needed something nourishing that wasn't inciting. If that makes sense. Absolutely. Yeah. He's good for that. <laughs> he is. And wonderful for that. And, and I'm as guilty as anybody of aiming way too damn big. Mm-hmm. right and and something he's a master at like if if there's a technical definition of master he probably is that is it's all small and right here and nothing else yeah almost literally and nothing else and so in this conversation of why are we losing and maybe we're supposed to, and maybe it is all and only meant to be small and immediate and local. I think about presentness and enoughness and Kevin Garvey senior saying every man rebels against the idea that this is it. They fight windmills, they save damsels in search of greater purpose. This is Kevin's journey. You have no greater purpose. It is enough. It is enough. Why are we losing? Because we don't recognize what is enough. And, and I think about this and I got, I was, I wasn't being silly a moment ago. As I finished leftovers episode 10 of season two last night, I was like, who am I singing for? Mm-hmm. Because if God comes to me disguised as my life, that is my, that is God to me. And, and that, you know what I mean when I say that. I do. Oh, absolutely. Speaking yes. Weirdly, I'm simply saying like we want movements and placards and signals and signs and implements and 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 votes and elections and and you know save this and save that and be against this and be against that and all of it is loss because yes. because because. I'm not talking, you know, maybe, maybe on the periphery, I'm talking about control. That's not what I think I'm talking about. What I think I'm talking about is simply what can I affect? What do I love? What in a purgatorial scenario will 
uh, Bill Camp's prompting compel me to sing for and what comes to mind. Those are the things that I have influence over. Those are the things that matter. And we lose, I think, sort of because we're supposed to. Yeah. Uh, anyway, I, I don't know if I ultimately got back to where I was trying to, which is to connect to what you're landing at, you know, because, because to me, it, I'm, what I'm not saying is it's your family. It might be. What I am saying is it's what's in front of you. Yeah. I don't know that this is a couple of things have come to mind. There's uh, I don't often invoke and a lot of it was just the, the song language that we keep wrapping around. I, I don't often invoke like old uh, Christian songs, certainly not CCM songs. Um, although I don't know if you would, but I'm to drop some newsboys. I'm not about to drop some newsboys. Um, <laughs> I, uh, I don't consider like when I think about CCM, yeah, sure. technically, technically he is, but I don't consider Rich Mullins in that camp. Rich Mullins is on oh, a yeah, yeah. on a completely different yeah, level. Yeah. Um, yeah. But that Rich Mullins song, and this is the one that came to mind, uh, you know, and and the song starts off. I'm sure you've heard it, but the song starts off. There's more that rises in the morning than the sun, and more You're that shines in. Yeah, and uh, and and more that shines in the night than just the moon. There's more than just this fire here that keeps me warm in a shelter that's larger than this room. Um, and then he goes on. With, that's deeper than that's it. Sentence. Yep. And the music a music I, higher uh, than the song. Yeah. The music higher than the songs that I can sing. Um, the stuff of earth competes, competes for the allegiance that I owe only to the giver of all good things. And then the, the refrain that keeps coming to mind is what is his choral refrain there. So if I stand let me stand on the promise that you will pull me through. And if I can't, let me fall on the grace that first brought me to you. And if I sing, let me sing for the joy that has borne in me these songs. And if I weep, let it mm-hmm. be as a man who is longing, for, longing his home. for his home. Yep. And there's such a rich beauty to that contextualizing of faith and what faith really is. You know, if I stand, I stand on this. If I fall, I fall on this. If I sing, it's this, and if I weep, it's this, and and those simple notions. And you know, it's it's funny. Um, obviously, proximity to what we're watching and reading and experiencing in our lives makes its way into these episodes. And uh, purely coincidentally, earlier this week, um, a fellow church member uh, had reached out to me to ask if I had a particular Henry N- Henry Nowen book. Uh, I think it's Henri Nowen, but um, they asked if I had it. I didn't have that one. But it prompted me to be like, but I do have a couple and I love them. And so I want to pull that out and just see what I had highlighted. And one thing struck me so profoundly that it prompted me to, to post it to social media, just a, a, a segments of quotes that I want to bring up here and then maybe you know, give a couple of my final thoughts and we'll, and we'll be done. Um, we're talking about this, this idea of loss and loss does directly cor- correlates to power. Um, that, that, that's not all it's about, but because uh, you even said like power and control are not, that, that is too simplistic of a view to contextualize the idea of learning how to lose in. Mm-hmm. But I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to cite this quote that is out there on social media in case other people have already seen it. But he wrote on there, he said, maybe it is that power 
offers an easy substitute to the hard task of love. Mm-hmm. And he said, the long, painful history of the church is the history of a people ever and again tempted to choose power over love, control over the cross, being a leader over being led. And he says, and you invoked it earlier, same language. This is continuing the quote. He says, Jesus asks, do you love me? We ask, can we sit at your right hand and your left hand in your kingdom? Mm-hmm. And it says, much Christian leadership is exercised by people who do not know how to develop healthy, intimate relationships and have opted for power and control instead, even though they continue to speak in the name of Jesus, who did not cling to his divine power, but emptied himself and became as we are. And I didn't know we were going to have this specific conversation, but it reflected so much in what you were saying to me about like that whole emptying of self and, and this idea of attachments that the leftovers uh, sticks with. It's like Kevin has come back from the dead twice now. And when he comes back this time, I think part of the reason he is so clear eyed is because he's probably freer than he has ever been in that moment. Like, like he's mm-hmm. completely free. And that's not to say that the song homeward bound wasn't driven by these home is the connection. You know, home is mm-hmm. the healthy, intimate relationship that he's, that he's right. to, to re um, engage with. But I feel like the situation is such that when you are, when you are truly set free from this idea of needing to win, when, when it becomes, you know, I was having a conversation with a family member of mine and there've been a lot of difficult things that a lot of people have gone through in their, you know, navigating this global pandemic. But there was a particular thing related to my job. It was a weighty decision, a burdensome thing uh, that sensitivity demands I probably not go too much further into, uh, except for context of this moment, because we were, I was discussing with this family member, and we were talking about, they were urging and encouraging me to, to pray to certain ends and, and to invoke certain prayers that would bring about certain ends you know, that will, you know, provision and protection for family, uh, you know, uh, expanding our, you know, uh, livelihood and well-being and all of those kinds of things. And I, I had a difficult conversation in that moment because I said that, that to me is not resonating in my spirit at the moment. Here is what resonates in my spirit. And I said this to my family member. I said, what resonates in my spirit is I feel that my journey through this and walk, trying to walk faithfully with the Lord through this has pivoted me away from guarantees of whether or not everything's going to be okay and more a bone marrow level recognition that if things are not okay, I will not be alone. Mm-hmm. And that if things are not okay, his presence will be with me. And that, and that it not be so much about whether or not things will be okay, but that there is communion here and there is fellowship here, and there is, and there is faithfulness here. And to me, that, that final moment of him just looking around at the people that mean the most to him in his life that he has left, including his ex-wife and his new committed relationship, and you know, Matt, who is you know, in many ways probably the best friend he has in the world in, in many weird, strange ways you know, because of their shared experiences. And so all of these things are just like there. The people he cares about are here in this place. And, and that to me has been so much of what this situation is. I've, I've had difficult conversations with people I love 
um, who's, who are struggling. And there are so many people who are struggling to try to navigate this and try to not feel this way anymore and try to not, um, you know, feel the pain and the hurt and the oppressive sense of loss that we have. And I expressed to, to someone else, I said, you know, there, there, there is no magic pill. We will not wake up tomorrow and this all be over. But just recently, this is going to sound a little silly for a moment, and then, I'll, then I'll, I'll share this final note, and then I think I am done. Recently, we were with, uh, this was around July 4th, we were with some friends. We had agreed. Uh, we had social distanced pretty heavily for a couple of weeks. Our friends had done the same. So we agreed under the sort of bubble measurement that was laid out to get together in our friend's backyard mm-hmm. for July 4th. And so that whole time, you know, we didn't even hug each other hello and goodbye. We were just there, you know, in a backyard, uh, you know, sharing time with one another in the same physical space. And as we were leaving, uh, their, one of their dogs ran out uh, the, the little entrance way and... Uh, and their dog took off running and in one of the most foolhardy decisions I've made in the last, you know, 40 years of my life, <laughs> I took off running after the dog. Mm-hmm. Like it wasn't, you know, it was very impulsive. I took off running. My wife even teased me. She's like, I have never seen you run before. Like, like, I, was <laughs> like, I, just, like I just ran. Lots of Forrest Gump. I just started running. Exactly. Lots of Forrest Gump memes have now abounded in the text thread of, with That's these people. Funny. Um, but I took off running and, you know, patting myself on the back for a second, I caught the dog and it's hard to catch a dog who's in full bore run, whatever. But I caught the dog as I got close to it. I'm approaching 40 years old. I'm going to be 40 years old in a couple of months. I had no earthly business running after that dog. As I approached the dog, um, I tried to stop and my legs (laughs) said, my legs said, sure, you can stop. My upper body had so much. Sure. It said, nope, nope, trains, trains you, going. You like, didn't have an EV to wrap your arms around. I you? did not. I did not. And so I fell down and got a pretty nasty scrape on my, on my knee. Um, it, it is ultimately just a scraped knee, but it was so severe for context that even uh, almost four weeks later, it has not yet healed. Um, it is healing, but it is, it is still in many ways, like still very mm-hmm. bloody and stuff like that. Like it was a really bad scrape. And those first couple of weeks afterwards were pretty difficult because of that. Um, the analogy that I'm using it to bring it back into this idea of loss and suffering and, and all of these things that we're going through. Let your dog go. They're I was not talking, dogs anymore. No, no, they're not our dogs anymore. <laughs> um, I was talking through someone with someone who was really struggling because they had had some pretty devastating news in their life. And they called me. And this, is, this was somebody who called me sobbing and just crying. And when they called me, um, they said, my impulse when anybody tells me to be strong is just to say, screw you. And they didn't even use that word. They were like, mm-hmm. like, don't tell me to be strong right now. What are you talking to me about? Don't tell me to be strong right now. And when they said that, it was because I had said back to them, it is okay that you're not okay. Mm-hmm. That it, it is okay that it's not okay. And, and it's not a new, I think we've said something like that on this show recently. But then I, I shared with them later about my knee, and I said, there is no version of this where I wake up tomorrow morning and my knee doesn't hurt, but I recognize that it is in the process of healing, and it is in the process of sort of getting better a piece at a time, but there's still pain associated with that. There's still, like, you know, there's still things that I can't push myself to and ask of myself for this silly scraped knee to heal, and I think 
part of this, the other part of this whole like growing to a place of comfort with loss, if that's even possible to use that phrase, like of just accepting loss and carrying loss upon ourselves is recognizing that like that pain is not going to go away right away. And right. even, even if it's okay that we're not okay, uh, just like, you know, John standing there talking to Kevin, I don't understand what's happening. And he says, me neither. And, and, and it's okay. And as you so beautifully put it, they, they laugh and they cry. And there's this understanding there that is just, it's okay that this is not okay. And I feel like in this idea of loss, we get to that place to where we just recognize that, yes, it's like there is pain and there is hurt. And we have got to let go of the stubborn demand to always be on the winning side of it. And as I had shared back to my family member, I don't know that it's going to be okay, but I am finding daily that I will not be alone in it and that I will find a home in that sense of not going through it, you know, in, in isolation, though in a version of isolation, if you, if, if that makes sense. Yeah. I, it's, it's funny. I didn't anticipate how much this particular scene would come up and or resonate, but I think the, the John Kevin, we keep referring to there's so much humanity shared. In yes. That. Yes. And I think what's important and, and a valuable takeaway um, that should be applied is a peer says, I don't understand mm. and not to pivot to the response being it's okay. Or it's going to be okay. Or let me explain it. Or let me tell you what's right. really going on. Or right. let me show right. you right. this stupid viral video or mm. you know what? It's really 5g. Um, you know, those are not the proper responses. The proper responses when someone says, I don't understand might be me neither. Yeah. But the broader takeaway is connecting is relationship is empathizing is joining, you know, was it last week when we said this about pushing into the well versus jumping in the well with them? Like that's Kevin jumping in the well with John. Yeah, absolutely. John, John is broken. Yeah. He says, I, I just, how did this happen? What do you mean? Uh, 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 you know, she, she loves me. She loves her, her brother. She loves her mom. Well, what if she doesn't what mm-hmm. love you? Like John got broke. Yeah. And at the end of it, he says, I don't understand. And I think our capacity to say me neither. It it's okay. Cause, cause, cause presence is being exercised. Yes. You know, yes. no, no, I couldn't, um, I couldn't agree. More. And, and almost even more than that, it's not just that Kevin is practicing presence with John. John is who harmed him. Yeah. Like it's not just connection. It's compassion and, and forgiveness and extending grace to the one that harms you anyway. Um, yeah. And that invocation to final button on that, that invocation, what do I do if nobody's home? Then you come right to my back. house. Yep. Yes. Then you come over to my house and it's that extension of like, you won't be alone. You know, like yeah. I'm not keeping, keeping and bringing I mean, it back. That's, a, re- that's a reiteration of, you know, of it's okay. That's a reiteration. Yes. You know, that's, that's your, your peer who's worried that says, what if, and you say, I'm here. Yes. You, you yes. have a home, you have a yes. place. Yes. It's here. 
And that's that as much powerful. And sometimes that's as much as it like like we will we will lose together if we yes. like like yes. that that is what will happen. Like and and if that is the case, then that is that is where we will be. And we will we will be Let's be in it then. Let's be in it then. Exactly. <laughs> like this is what it is. And it all comes back to that that relational mm-hmm. connection, that healthy, vibrant, intimate, compassion laced. Um, just, just giving and receiving of love. And that is where we each have to find a way to find ourselves is the giving and receiving of love, releasing the need to win, releasing even the need to be okay. And just accepting we're, we're, we're here, you're home, you're home. Like, and and I live here now. Yes. I live here now. Um, I, I, I can't think of a, of a better or more appropriate, sort of final note to end on but if you have one then by all means um i mean i I, you know i don't know that you're going to push back to time in a bottle but you know was it a trail beneath you you're not elegant (laughs) enough is it too easy read you pissed a girl little girl into a will you don't want to (laughs) sing so perfect so perfect so perfect oh man so hey we did fog meter on season one so i think we should let's do fog meter on on season two let's do it um so uh fog meter is our very specific metric of fear and god this is a tv show we normally do this for films but um it's where we measure the scares and the substance uh of this material we did it for season one of the leftovers here we are with season two of hbo's the leftovers i'll lead the charge on fear um, there is so much suspense and so much like just raw emotional, you just, just a visceral response to so many things. I don't know that I would define them as scary, sure. but for sheer arresting electrical sensibilities, I'm going to give season two an eight on the fear factor. Hmm. Yeah. I mean, again, the, the it's not going to be a perfect apples to apples here. Um, watching it a second time through, knowing the architecture, you know, there's a little less electricity, but I can still recall the the height of harrowing that the experience of discovering Evie, the experience of Regina King's run across that bridge, the experience of Nora on Lily on the bridge, like those are set your nerves afire. Oh, absolutely. Um, and absolutely. so, yeah, I, I think it's, I think for the, for the lexicon we're using for this version of the fog meter, I'm, I'm going to join you with an eight. Okay. What would you say for the God meter? Um, I can't remember where, uh, I know broadly where season three goes. Um, but for how comparing to season one, season two takes the, the seeds planted in season one and blooms it into this epic garden of, you know, just substance and, and fruitful, interesting dialogue uh, that I think it's hard to not on my end of the conversation, just throw a 10 at it. You'll get no argument from me. This is, I, I mentioned it earlier that if I recommend the show, it's because of the story that season two tells. So it's, there's so much, so much going on in this. Uh, it's an easy 10 for me on the God meter. And that means 
that we give season two of the leftovers. I forget exactly what our aggregate for season one was. We should, we should go back and, and check that out. But we give season two on the leftovers a firm nine out of 10 on the fog meter. And, uh, honestly, yeah, it's, it's, it's absolutely incredible. Um, do we even need to go to recommendations? I mean, we're doing a whole, you know, encouraging, compelling people week over week to, to go and check out this show. But I, mean, I will I recommend it. I don't know if that's no, 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 absolutely. And I, I, I would even go so far as to say, like, if you don't, if you don't have it in you to commit to a show, yes, season one provides vital context for what's happening. So you have to watch season one, but even if you didn't respond very strongly to season one, like you got to get to season two, like season two is really incredible. It's some powerful storytelling with some incredible payoffs. Um, and uh, so, yeah. Season and I mean, two, you know, it, you know, you pushed a little girl in a well, you're not going to watch season two. Wow. Know? I wow. mean, come wow. on, <laughs> please, please let this guy like, like show up, you know, from time to time. Like just, just, just in any, any, any little context, you know, like I appreciate hey. the invite. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's like work on will. it a little bit. It he was will. all in the moment. He will though. He will. Um, all right. So that puts this because he shows back up in season three. He does. Right. He does. Yeah. Um, so um, that puts this installment, this ultimate installment, and uh, phase two of hashtag in the morning in the books. So next week we will be starting a brief intermission again between seasons two and three of The Leftovers. We will be pivoting back into our year-long journey through the favorite horror films of the 20s, the 10s and 20s, uh, the year 2000s. And that's with hashtag 2020-2020. Now, normally this is the moment when we would tell you what film to prepare for for our discussion, but as I mentioned at the top of the episode, we are giving you a few more days to vote. So go to thefearofgodpodcast.com, click the banner again, go and vote for your favorite horror films of 2011. As of, if you're listening to this on day of release, you've got about four or five more days to vote. So do that, and then uh, we will count down your favorite top 10 of 2011, and we will release to social media exactly what film we'll be covering so that you can catch up with that. But uh, in the meantime... Nathan, thank you so much for just a wonderful journey through season two of The Leftovers and all that we've gotten to explore in the films this time around. I've really, really... Yeah, man. Was this, was this run a ghost story? No, that was last. So a ghost story... Oh, that's right. We this is a paradigm about. shift. Yes, was this these, okay. those were ghost stories. These were paradigm shifts. Um, and then we will, you know, contextualize yeah, season you, three. Well, you want me to go I was well, going to say, no. why don't you grease the wheel a little bit? Let us know what's, yeah, yeah. Episode, so, what phase three is about. We'll, we'll unpack it a little bit further when we get to it, but phase three is going to be dealing head on with apocalypse, end of the world, how you approach it, how you navigate it, and what to do when and what it, you do after it. And what you do after it, and what to do when it does and does not happen. Um, and so we've got some, some really exciting films lined up, some fun ones, uh, some really hard hitting ones, favorite films of, of, I know at least one that's a mutual favorite film of ours. Um, so Batman Superman. that's not <laughs> it. Um, so what are you going to do? You're going to push the girl down a well, and then you're not going to bring up Batman vs Superman. <laughs> so, I got um, you to do it. So yes, uh, we'll be 
covering that in a couple of weeks. 2020, 2020 is next. Um, and then in the meantime, as we say on every episode, uh, first of all, Nathan, thank you again. But thank as you. we say on every episode, the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom, but not the end of the conversation. And in that spirit, we encourage you to fear nothing else and be on your way rejoicing. We'll see you next week, everybody. See you guys. The fear of God is the beginning of wisdom, but not the end of the conversation. And you can continue the conversation in a variety of ways. Start by visiting thefearofgodpodcast.com for all the latest episodes and news, as well as for merchandise and how to contact us. You can follow us on Twitter, at The Fear of God, on Instagram, at Fear of God Podcast, or join the Facebook Fear of God discussion group. Special thanks to Jacob Hunt of jacobhuntcomics.com for our artwork to Lee Wright and Reed Lackey for our theme music, and to Tyler Smith and MoreThanOneLesson.com for making our show possible. Lastly, be sure to subscribe to us on your podcast platform of choice. And if you listen to us through iTunes, we would greatly appreciate a rating and a review. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week.